Our December episode begins on a day that shaped the lives of millions of Americans and thousands of Princeton alumni. December 7th, 1941. This is John Daly speaking from the CBS newsroom in New York. Here is the Far East situation as reported to this moment. The Japanese have attacked the American naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and our defense facilities at Manila, capital of the Philippines. I'm Herb Hobler, H-O-B-L-E-R, the class of 1944, on December 7th. And I had the radio on. And anybody who's old enough to remember, well, remember just like I do, and I heard the announcer say that Pearl Harbor had just been bombed, and I said to myself, where's Pearl Harbor? None of us knew where Pearl Harbor was. Right? So then suddenly you say to yourself, what, what's this all about? And of course the war in Europe had been going on for two years. Uh, and uh, in a matter of weeks, I would say, in the old gym, there were uh, recruiters and big long lines of all the undergraduates coming in to enlist. So I got in line uh, initially uh, for the Navy, and they asked me a bunch of questions, and why they gave me a little color test, I don't know. You've probably never heard of the issue here, a color test. But it's a bunch of colored dots. And I flunked 25 out of 26 of them. I didn't see the right number, I saw another number. And the guy said, you're colorblind. I said, no, I'm not. I can see that that's red and that's blue and that's so-and-so. Well, the red-green combination doesn't make you colorblind. It makes you color ignorant, really, with that mixture. Uh, he said, we can't take you. So I said, hell, my brother Wells is already in the Air Corps. He went in the Air Corps as soon as he graduated in summer of 41. Uh, so I went and got in that line. And I'll be damned if they didn't give me the same test. And I pleaded with him. I said, my brother's already in. He says, okay, normal. So I got in. When I signed up for the Air Corps and these other people who were signing up, almost without exception, we were told to stay in school until we call you. You're in the service. You have been sworn in, but you're in the reserve now. Uh, and the reason for that was the United States really wasn't ready for this war. They didn't have a big army. They didn't have a big Air, Air Corps. Uh, they didn't have fields, they didn't have ships. There was nothing military about the time I was waiting. I just suddenly got a letter that said, you will report to the Trenton Courthouse at such and such a time to be sworn in. And I went down there with nine other guys, uh, some who were younger and some a little bit older than me at Princeton. We got sworn in and put on a train uh, with all the shades hung down as if it was real secret. We wound up in Atlantic City where the Air Corps had taken over all the hotels, which was nothing like it is today, of course. Uh, and suddenly we were yes sirring to corporals and sergeants and KP at 3.30 in the morning and uh, it was quite a lifestyle and they made you feel like you were just a crummy bum because they, they wanted to make you know, damn it, we're in charge, not you, and you got to face up to this. So, and some people, I suspect, washed out. I couldn't take the, the discipline. It was in February. We marched up and down the boardwalk for eight hours a day in 20 degree weather. I met a guy named Thurman Walling from Wichita, Kansas, at Michigan State College. He was tall and he had broad shoulders. Uh, 
we became fast friends, and he was told that he would be in charge of the uh, troop train taking us to the West Coast. And he had a compartment, so I got to go in a compartment. So I went to Santa Ana, California, and that was for a pre-flight. Uh, and there I learned how to, to flash a picture of an airplane on, what airplane is it? And we had to quickly identify all kinds of stuff. We had to learn how to do SOS and stuff. Uh, and lots of physical activities. Uh, I was apt in Princeton in the track and basketball and JV football. But boy, did they shape me up. I had muscles I never had when I was at Princeton by the time they got through. Uh, and so that is when I had a date with a girl from Vassar in La Jolla. And she reminded me that Mary Randolph from Bronxville lived in La Jolla and was going to Occidental College. And I said, oh, I was in kindergarten with her. I think I better look her up. Called her on the telephone at Occidental College in Los Angeles. Herb Hogan, remember? Yeah. How about a date? My 21st birthday Saturday. She said, okay. My weekend was from about 24 hours from the time I left until I got back. Uh, so you didn't have a long, didn't sleep a lot. At the end of our seventh very short weekend together, uh, we smooched and uh, uh, I was groping for words to ask her to marry me and it never came to me. And the next day we were having lunch, about to, about to depart, and I said, do you know what I almost asked you last night? Yeah. What do you think? I think that's great. I said, we're engaged. And so that's how it happened. After we left there, we were sent to gunnery school in a little town in Nevada called Las Vegas. Okay. It wasn't a big gambling place like it is now. And my wife, Randy, came up to see us in Las Vegas. She brought her engagement ring that I put on her finger. Wally went with me to uh, Hondo, Texas, just outside of San Antonio, where I got married, and he was an usher. And he flunked out, but he had gunner's wings, and they sent him to, to uh, uh, Nebraska, where there were several B-29s training. So they sent him over to Tinian, and I wound up in Tinian. But he was on the very first flight over Japan from the Marianas, uh, November 25th, 1944. And after the big fire raids, which you read about, that I was I was on four of them, uh, he jumped a little airplane, came three miles from Saipan over to see me. And I was living in a tent. I got a picture of him, the two of us together. Uh, he finished his 30 missions. Now, there was a famous airplane called the Dauntless Dottie that 52 missions uh, had been used by different crews, and they decided to fly it back. The brass decided to fly it back and fly it all over the United States for bond rallies. His pilot volunteered to fly it back. They went to Kwajalein, the first step on the way home, which was an atoll that they, they had taken from the Japanese. And it took off at midnight and crashed, and they were all killed. My buddy, nicest person in the world. I get choked up thinking about it. So I have some newspapers that my wife catch, which were headlines of some of the battles in Europe and B-29 raids. 
You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I came back and I saw these things, I said, that's what my mother and my wife would see was Herb on that raid. Was he one of the planes that was lost? So the family, not just airplanes, but Battle of the Bulge or whatever it was, uh, it had to be a, a very difficult thing for family reading newspapers about battles when they knew damn well their son was in it. What you're hearing from me is not really untypical. It's just Herb Hover's experience. Uh, but there are hundreds and hundreds of stories of heroes. Uh, I was no hero. Most of the people I was with were no hero. People may say, yeah, well, you flew in that airplane, you did this. Yeah, but uh, I wasn't alone. I was just one of many, many thousands of people doing that. Herb Hobler and his wife Randy celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary earlier this year. Alumni may recall the class of 44's stirring tribute to its World War II veterans at reunions in 2009, which was orchestrated primarily by Hobler. Active duty military personnel and family members of classmates honored each of the 22 class members killed in the war. According to the University Archives, Princeton lost 355 alumni to World War II. Special thanks to Herb Hobler for sharing his story. The music for this episode was licensed from First Come Music. <laughs>